The shepherds went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in a manger. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. One year ago on December 26th, which was a Sunday, the Feast of the Holy Family, we celebrated outdoor Mass at the latest point in the year in the history of the Shrine. Curiously enough, this year, on December 30th, likewise on the Feast of the Holy Family, we once again set a record for the latest outdoor Mass in the year. All we can do now is December 31st. <laughs> it's the end of December, it's still Christmas, and we're outside. What could be better than that? And so my friends, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate with a real joy the sacred mysteries. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When the Magi had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. He stayed there until the death of Herod, that what the Lord had said through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod had died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. He rose, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go back there. And because he had been warned in a dream, he departed for the region of Galilee. He went and dwelt in a town called Nazareth so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. There is a certain tendency toward a temptation to sentimentality with regard to this particular feast day and with regard to how we mark Christmas in general. And it's not that that is a bad thing, it is that it is a limited thing, where everything is kept pleasant and safe, and because it is so very pleasant and so very safe, we actually miss the full greatness and vigor of the joy and the mystery of this holy season. 
And this is no small measure why you notice that our readings in what in the world around us is often described as the sweetest and happiest of all times have a certain bite to them. Here again today, on the one hand, we have the Feast of the Holy Family in the octave of Christmas, the fact that it is still Christmas Day. And yet, what do we hear? One seeks to kill the child. There's a note of darkness in the midst of the light, or more accurately, we are reminded by these texts that this season is about light that shines over and against and out of and overcomes darkness. Note then, as we engage today this familiar story involving the three kings and the flight of the Holy Family into Egypt, that we have here on the back end of the octave of Christmas, just like we have at the beginning of the octave of Christmas, a family on the move and a family in a certain degree of crisis. The night before the birth of the Savior, what do we have? The journey, the long journey to Bethlehem. And then the movement through the town seeking shelter. A family displaced, a family far from home, a family with no place to stay. And so we have this curious incident of the birth of the Savior, the birth of the King, taking place outside of all earthly dwellings in a stable. And here suddenly, just a few days later, what do we hear? Heaven telling Joseph it's time to get up and move again. And once again you have no place to stay. You must flee because there is danger here. And so once again, out of the little stability the family has, it must uproot itself and it must move. And somehow all of this disruptive movement is part of the mystery of how Jesus Christ comes into the world. And this is what we must not forget. In worldly terms, this is disordered. This is chaotic. This is one crisis, one disaster after another. And it seems that poor Joseph is living in panic mode. Where will we stay? What will they do if they catch us? When we get to Egypt, where will we live and how will we live? And for many of us, these questions might actually seem disturbingly familiar. While we have our fixed addresses, while we know where we're living, we wonder, what happens if I don't make the mortgage payment? We wonder what happens because so many things can disrupt the stability of home and the stability of family. And so we see here that Jesus is pleased to come into the world not merely into the sentimental sweetness of a superficially perfect family, but into the disturbingly complicated realities that families have always had to deal with, with struggle, with provisionality, 
with uncertainty and with a certain fearfulness. And yet in the midst of all of this, note the tone of calm and peacefulness that also is communicated through this reading of a very difficult situation. Notice that as the world erupts in anger and violence against this family, something else is at work. And that is the movement of heaven, the movement of grace. The Lord who was pleased to be born in a stable is the Lord who is pleased as well to guide the life of this family. And so note, the world erupts, a crisis emerges, and yet there is a word from heaven. You are not alone. Now is the time for you to move. Go to the place that I indicate. And note again the contrast here. On Christmas night, what did we hear? Emperor Caesar Augustus commands a census be taken, and at the word of the petty king of this world, the family must move. But here we see something different. We see another petty king, a smaller king, Herod, angry against the child, threatening the child and the family. And yet, even as he acts and decides to act, another king speaks, a heavenly king. And so note, Joseph gets up and moves, not merely because Herod is acting against the child, but because heaven has spoken and he has been listening. And so note here, there are two kingdoms and there are two rulers. And we see something wonderful here about the Holy Family, that this family is ordered by the will and the law of the true king, not the earthly king. And so they move, and they go to Egypt. And why? Note again the insistence in St. Matthew's Gospel that this happens for a reason and the reason is not the anger of Herod or the threat that the world poses. It is because something must happen for the sake of that child, of that son. To fulfill the scriptures we hear, I have called my son out of Egypt. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the chaos of the world, in the midst of the disruptiveness of the reality in which Mary, Joseph, and their child are living, we see that there is an ordering that is also happening. The world will have its chaos. The world will make its threats. The world will present its difficulties. And yet there is someone who acts within, through, and beyond those things to set the world in its proper order. And that is an order determined by Jesus Christ. And so it is again. When they return from Egypt, when does it happen? When heaven says it is time. 
And again, note the instruction. Take the child and his mother. Heaven, when it speaks to Joseph, speaks this way. Take the child and his mother. Never just take the child. In fact, earlier in Matthew's Gospel, we hear, don't be afraid to take your wife into your home, because that is how you will receive the child. Note the inseparability here. There is no taking of the child without taking the mother. And taking the mother involves taking the child. Note here as well the instruction from heaven, do not become separated. Keep them together and keep yourselves together. And that togetherness is a togetherness around the child, around the Savior, around Jesus Christ. And in returning to Israel and seeing that there are still threats, at a note again from heaven, Joseph goes to Nazareth. And again, note the stress the Holy Spirit makes through St. Matthew. This is not random. This is not merely circumstantial. To the earthly eye, that's all this is. Joseph is reacting and he finds himself someplace. But the simple fact of the matter is, again, something greater is at play. For the child will be known as a Nazarene. And this is why it happens. Not merely because another petty thought tyrant is occupying a throne. Not merely because there are earthly dangers and earthly difficulties. Note those things are disturbingly real. And yet in the midst of all of this, there is another agenda, another power, another movement at work putting life into order. This is the emphasis that St. Paul makes in this marvelous reading from his letter to the church at Colossae, the letter to the Colossians. Notice his insistence. He begins by naming a number of virtues, virtues that should characterize how Christians, how members of the body of Christ live with one another. And lurking in the background of this is the idea of the family. Not the narrow idea of the family, of mom and dad, husband and wife, and the children. Not even the idea of an extended family, but the saving idea of our adoption into the household of God the Father. That those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and incorporated into his body together can cry out to God, Father. And that means as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of the Virgin Mary, the household of God, the family of the believing community, must attend to the quality of its living with one another. Note how beautiful that is. And Paul, as he writes and enumerates the great virtues, suddenly comes 
to the insistence that these are the virtues of Jesus Christ that you must have. And that the word of Christ must dwell in you. And note what he says about our hearts being put into good order by the peace of Christ. Not the peace of Caesar Augustus. Not the peace of mere convenience. Not the peace of grudging acceptance. But the peace of Christ. Ordering your hearts so that your hearts might be in good order with one another. Because the Holy Family is not simply a matter of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. It is also a matter of the church. Brothers and sisters in the household of the one who is truly Father. Brothers and sisters of that one who is truly the Savior. Note how wonderful that is. And so Paul now says, as you attend to how you live with one another, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. And again, now note the insistence. Make it a point to receive forgiveness from Christ. And in receiving that forgiveness, understand what it is. And then share it. And note again, everything is ordered by Jesus. Everything is ordered to Jesus. And it is in this ordering of all things to Jesus and by Jesus and through Jesus that Paul then turns and speaks about the domestic household, the nuclear family, so to speak. The relation between husbands and wives, between parents and children, and children and parents. But note how he's articulating something more than mere social norms. Having spoken about how the life of the body is ordered by the word of Christ dwelling richly in our hearts, the spirit of Christ acting through us, the forgiveness of Christ shaping us and being shared among us, then he speaks about life at home. And to understand his teaching on the family, we have to catch that. The relationship of Jesus to his church is the model for how the family should be structured. How absolutely wonderful that is. And that the household of the believing family is a household that must first be put in order by Jesus Christ and ordered to Jesus Christ so that it might live with good order in the midst of the disorder of this sin-fallen world. What a great thing we celebrate today. And here then we see that again, the family is important in the eye of God and in the mind of God and in the way God relates to the world. Salvation comes to us through a family. And the great language of what salvation is involves the language of the family. We are God's children by adoption.
orphans no more, adopted into a household. And the Lord emphasizing then, he who is born in the stable, he whose young life is marked by a certain disordered homelessness, reminds us that he has come not merely to be with us, but to journey with us and to take us and to lead us to a truly heavenly home filled with a peacefulness, a goodness, and a joyfulness that cannot be taken away and will not come to an end. What a marvelous feast day this really is, this feast of the Holy Family. And it should remind us and it should stir our hearts with a certain degree of holy pride over our earthly families, however wounded and however imperfect they may be. Because the family has a privileged role in showing to the world that great saving society of man united once again with God. And it should stir us with a tremendous amount of joy in knowing who we really are. Children of the one who is truly Father. Brothers and sisters, not servants, not slaves, but brothers and sisters of that one who is the Word of God made flesh for the life of the world. That is who we are. And how wonderful it is that even with our imperfections, even with the disorder that we live through on a regular basis, we see in no small measure that God remains as he always has been, pleased to work his great wonders in and through the family. Note how important then where we live every day really is. We have this feast day in the middle of the octave of Christmas because the family, your family, and the household of the church really do, in fact, matter. Amen.